Hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics Podcast. My name is Imran Lasker, I'm a consultant radiologist. And hi, I'm Dushigan Wardner, I'm a cardiology registrar, sub-specialising in intervention. Dushigan, how you been? How's your running going? It's going all right. I'm still in my running gear because I did a run this evening. It was intervals today, which is, I don't enjoy any of it, but I enjoy this <laughs> the least. Because yeah, like, okay. at least when I'm running, so the long distance ones, I'm sorry, you asked the question. I'm going to give you the answer to the fullest no, of my No, you tell opinion. me. I ask because I care. <laughs> I'll go for it. <laughs> so like, in the long runs where you just pretty much coast, I just run probably at a pace that I could probably, it's just about the same speed as walking quickly. But I'm happy with that. I could do that and listen to an audiobook or whatever. Intervals, though, take some thought because I have to actually cut, try and run fast. And you run fast and slow and run fast and slow. And I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> I don't know. But apparently they say... But you turned up. I turned yeah. up, exactly, right? Yes. And they say, so of your training program, if you do, if you try, if you do 90% of your runs, then you're doing pretty well. And I'm pretty much there. I think... So I think there's seven weeks left now before the marathon and I've missed two other two kind of easy runs, which are basically short runs that I've missed. But otherwise, like I've kept all the long runs and all of the kind of irritating interval or tempo runs where you have to run a bit faster. I've kept all those going. So, okay, yeah. here's a silly question. So look, okay, so for someone like me who doesn't do anything like this, right. you sign up to the marathon. Do they say, okay, so if you sign up to the marathon, th this is our suggested training program that you should follow. Or do you have something... You know, you've got that app which is like couch to 10K where it will yeah, show you yeah, exactly yeah. how to go from yeah. doing nothing to being able to run 10K. Like, how does this work? Yeah, so you can access like training plans and stuff, I think, through the London Marathon thing. So like when you apply, you also give them like an indication of how quickly you want to do it. And that also, mm. that will affect where you start from because then they try and put, I think, similar speed people together so that people aren't crashing into one another and that kind of thing. And there are lo loads, mate. There's loads of training plans basically based upon like your experience beforehand, but also what kind of time you're aiming for, that kind of thing. So I basically did, I looked up a plan that kind of fit in with the road, best with my rotor. So there was that. And then I was also looking to try and sign up for races, like along as I found that, oh, I thought maybe I'm less likely to skip races, but in the end, I never ended up signing up to any of them. So that wasn't that helpful. And I basically, I wanted a plan where I'd only be running three times a week, one long one in the weekends and then two runs during the week. And so this is what I'm doing. But is that like someone that you can go to be like, okay, I want you to train me to get to this. Or is it oh, absolutely. going to be self. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I used to think when I ran like before that just basically the more running you do, like the better you get. And that oh. works to an extent. But I, I think I found, or at least I was thinking in my head, like proportionally, the more terrible I feel after running, the better it must be for me. Like mm. I must feel terrible and therefore that's like weakness leaving your body or whatever, that whole kind of gym. It doesn't actually work like that, I think, in running. Like uh, some of my friends were saying you need to train smart and there are runs that you do to prepare your joints and there are runs that you do to make yourself go faster. And the ones that you do to make yourself go faster, those are the ones you try to go hard at. But the other ones, you're just preparing your joints and stuff. So it's just a case of getting through it without getting injured. Because that was what would happen before, like I'd train hard, get injured, and then I'd be like limping or doing other kind of runs terribly because I'd be a bit sore and stuff. Whereas this time around, apart from having chest infections and stuff, which are purely from one cause, I'm not actually injured myself yet. So that's nice. Mm. Wow, man. But I rate your motivation, mate. I really do. Uh, oh, I thanks. really do, honestly. <laughs> okay, so this is my motivation. There was someone, someone's deleted a tweet, wasn't it, Therusha? And we thought yeah. we didn't want to talk about it because I think it did open up. Is that a can of worms or just a very, it seems to be a common 
point of view. Yeah, got it through. Yeah, you can tell us about this one. So basically, it was about a job advert for a teaching fellow job. I think it was called a fellow job. And I think the point of contention, at least for, from this post, was that it was it seemed to be offered to allied health professionals. I think primarily for, it was a nursing role, and they were going to be teaching medical students. And so when the tweet came out, it was from the perspective of I would love a job like this, like F three. Like why why is it only advertised for nurses? Hmm. But it's just been taken down. So it's a teaching fellow. I don't think that's really my. I think I quite. I never ever really applied for that, but the idea of doing a teaching job and stuff would have been appealing for me. I think back when around that time of foundation training, I guess. Mm. But uh, what did you? So did you see the? Did you see the tweet? It's I been did, deleted. Yeah, right? It's been deleted since, and fair enough. Like maybe they got a bit of a backlash over it. And I did see the tweet, and I think my initial feeling was that this person is looking at job adverts and just getting triggered as if they feel as though because of being having a DR in front of their name, they could just, should be able to walk into any job whatsoever. But then, actually, I was going to ask you what you think, because it's like I do wonder, when you look at these jobs, what is it that's appealing to you so much about this particular job that you think that you wanted it? Is the actual teaching, is that what you think is so awesome? Is it the pay that you think is particularly good? Is the hours that you think that are particularly good? Because I think if you yourself can identify what of those few things that are is in that job that you find is triggering you, making you feel unhappy or making you think, oh, I wish my life was like that, then I would, I've said this before, find something that will give you those things because I think in medicine you will find something that will give you those things. There is something that will give you a nine to five with a decent pay and come back home. and It, it does exist. You just got to be willing to find it. If you know that's what makes you happy. But I'm just saying, what can I get triggered by a job that's got nothing to do with you it's just, I just find it very bizarre. How about you? Have I got the wrong end of this? No, I think we know that, I think Zach is, did something along those lines, or at least that's something he's quite passionate about. And I think in theory, I do, I quite like teaching. And mm. the more I've been like reflecting about my career, like people say, oh, I want to go down this avenue and that avenue or whatever. And the more I think about it, the more I think to myself, I'd quite like to be a TPD. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I think that kind of appeals to certain stuff. No. The other thing that I quite like maybe would be to be involved in the medical school, in a medical school to like deliver like teaching and stuff. Because I think for me, it's something that I found very difficult and to be able to maybe help other people navigate it kind of speaks to like my ideals. But I think the reason why a person might, there is, it does tend to be like the core people who do go for the teaching fellow jobs. Like I think because mm -hmm. you do, I think there won't be on calls and you're hanging out with students and whatever. And so I guess that seems cool. But I think you touched upon, yeah, so not having to do on calls and like more control over your life. I don't think the pay is necessarily going to be much better. But yeah, I think those are, they seem like good reasons. And I think at a different time in my life, I think I probably would have been interested in the teaching fellow job. Yeah, I see what you mean. But I just feel like you could still go for, if you, I think it's very important to identify what it is that you think. So if, yeah, if you think teaching is what you'd like to do, yeah. then fair enough. But I still think that you don't have to be a TPD. You have to be involved with the medical school or anything yeah. like that to do those things. And I think when I first started, I mentioned this before, that like I did become an <laughs> educational supervisor. Mm. And I started getting a bit more involved with the training and stuff like that. And I actually just found it really, it was really grating. Like you're trying to change yeah. anything, trying to do anything, trying to make things better. It just became more of a challenge. And I think eventually I just gave it up. And I've only recently taken it back up because someone asked me to take it back up. And I did. And right. it's actually been all right recently. But again, I think it's 
been better recently because I'm less of a newer consultant and, and I guess I, mm. I know my limitations as to what I can and can't do. Like I, yeah. I won't be able to change some things. There's no point even going down that road. I've been there before. And uh, but then at the same time, like I don't, isn't what I want from it isn't entirely just teaching, right? Because I do teaching in other places like, through lecturing yeah. and stuff because I do enjoy teaching. I do the videos and things that people may be aware of. And I'm not saying go look for my content out there, but it's there. And I think that you can do, if you really enjoy teaching, you can just do that without having to be involved in the things that you mentioned. And then you can cater your career to, towards what you want. So you, I've always said this before, if you do something busy, but you don't really want to be all that busy, then go find somewhere that's not busy, right? So if you want to leave at five, but when you, what, I think the sentiment I always find a bit strange is when I see medics get upset about other people going for jobs within the hospital realm, right? And like, I know there's a lot of people who say that, oh, we should have more medics and management, but then most of us don't want to do management. That's the issue, right? No, no, most of us didn't come into medicine to do management. Mm. If you want to be a management, then you'd, do, you'd, you'd go do a management qualification or something. But the vast majority of us became doctors because we want to be a doctor. And so... I think it's a bit unrealistic to expect a huge proportion of medical people to go into medical management because it's just never really been like a thing. And I feel the same about a way about research because going into medicine, you never, no one ever says, oh, you've got to do lots of research to be a good doctor. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. And it's thrown at you, like, oh, now you've got to do this. And it just seems a bit like, but why do we have to do this stuff? Like what's making me, what's making you think that I should be doing these things? Anyway, so coming back to the, as well, what, something that you said is that I think, um, I think if someone says I want to do teaching, the automatic idea is that if I want to do teaching, I've got to get involved with this. I've got to do involved with that stuff and that stuff. But actually you could just be a consultant who's really interested in teaching and just teach for a couple of hours every single yeah. week if you wanted to and have no official like thing at all. all. No grief, no emails, nothing. You could just do teaching and go. You see what I mean? So I'm just saying that you can do all of those things without the grief and it doesn't always have to be those particular areas. Yeah. Um, but when I see stuff like this, where people get really triggered a bit by PAs, nurse, nurses, or any other health, healthcare professional coming into what they would call doctor stuff, right? Yeah. Whatever they think doctor stuff is. I do wonder whether that they're just going to be stuck in a perpetual state of just unhappiness. That's what really what is it. Wasn't that yeah. what it's about though? As you say, like it wasn't about the teaching fellow job really was it mm. it was like as you say just because they were upset that they were excluded from that conversation it's a bit petty isn't it you can see why it's been deleted i suppose yeah but i think this is gonna be like if you're gonna walk around feeling like you should be in every single party and you don't get invited to the ones that you're not meant to be invited to you're just gonna be perpetually upset about stuff like you just it's you're never gonna just be happy and actually that kind of brings us on to rosie's tweet which is quite interesting about the determinants of professional fulfillment and burnout. Did you see? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is a tweet by Dr. Rosie Baru, ICU consultant. I feel like I was supposed <laughs> to say something else there. She she tweeted saying, newly published work on determinants of professional fulfillment in intensivists. Interestingly, the 45-year-old cohort were not fulfilled. Is this because we have more balanced work, home lives, more clinical experience or something else? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So basically, what older, the older consultants were happier. Let me read the abstract. So this is a study in case you guys are interested. So it was looking at amongst in, intensivists and it was a national survey and it was performed by the Society, the Society of Critical Care Anesthesiologists in 2022. And it said increased burnout and decreased professional fulfillment amongst ITU physicians is partly due to the workload. And then mm. I think they're particularly interested in things following the pandemic. And they mm. basically did a survey of 600 of their members 
and uh, use various different fulfillment fulfillment indexes to grade levels of professional fulfillment. And they said that it was, oh, so it goes professional fulfillment and work exhaustion in this cross-sectional study were associated with several demographic and practice characteristics, but not COVID-19 related workloads, suggesting that COVID-19 may have ha not had either a positive or negative perception of professional fulfillment. And mm -hmm. as Rosie said in her kind of summary, that it tended to be better for those, the older consultants and also was multivariate. So factors associated with higher professional fulfillment included age over 45, if they were full-time more often, that's interesting, role as medical director. So perhaps hmm. that's to do with control of your career and nighttime home call with supervision of in-house ICU fellows. That's interesting, isn't it? Oh, I wonder what, what that means. Really? Okay. Yeah. So what if you're doing night? Or maybe that meant... Maybe, maybe they've got like a junior covering the nights rather than them having to cover the nights. Yeah, sure. And get as many phone calls and stuff. Yeah. Maybe that's what it means. So Rosie's other conclusions are, and when I say more balanced work, home lives, if we have children, they're more likely to get themselves home, not need to wrap around care, keep themselves entertained mm -hmm. on school holidays, etc. And there's no significant difference between the genders either. Mm. It's, it's interesting because you'd look back and think that the... As in, essentially, they're saying that the COVID workload and seeing whether that's made a difference in work fulfillment, I, but actually there's been no change in work fulfillment. And actually, there are other factors that are contributing to work fulfillment, such as being over 45 and the other factors that you mentioned. That's what they're saying. Is 45 that old, by the way? I know you said older, no. but we're creeping up to 45. Yeah, I know. Sure. Oh, gosh, so there was like a guy who yeah. saw literally on Twitter and is you're a balding cardiology reg in your 40s. So I was like, oh, no. Not actually there yet, but I guess I'm almost there. So being more than forty-five and having more of a balanced work-home life, are you? The thing is, like the idea that you have to, the implication here is that there's a certain age that you would need to get to before yeah. you can be fulfilled. But actually, I wonder, if someone like myself, anyway, if I've always, I've said this before, if there's something that someone's got, someone else has got that I want, I try and find out what they're doing and see how I can basically do the same thing, if not better. And yeah. so. When you look at these, the, this kind of this information, you're saying that someone's a clinical director, so they're basically saying that someone who's exactly what you said, more in control of their career. Yeah. And I think a lot of us don't feel like we're in control of our career. Maybe we should try and get control of our career. And I think part of the step towards it has been really good with the the junior doctor strike. Like I really feel like okay, we're finally taking a stand and saying, look, we want control over what we think we're worth being paid for. Right? This is we're not going to settle anymore because before that, it just felt like you're just trundling along. No one's really doing anything and we're just getting con consistently get pay cut after pay cut. Nothing's really happening. But then and then also just having that idea, like I, I feel like I know, I know it sounds like now I do feel like I'm saying, oh, but the, the older I've got, I feel like you do look back and think about what is more important to you. Is this that is doing this more important to you than being at home and watching TV? No, so I'm not doing it. But when I was training, I used to just give up everything and anything for work. Right. If someone said you need something done or there's some research to do or some order to do. You throw everything at it to get it done, but now it's a bit like, especially near the end of my near the end of my training. I just, I think you told me, I think you told me recently, if you don't want to do a job, do a really bad job of it, and then they won't ask you to do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I think that's pretty much what I was inadvertently employing. It's like I just did such a terrible job that like it's never ever going to ask me to do any research or anything like that again. And they just, yeah, those opportunities dried up, and I was very happy indeed. <laughs> I was yeah, very yeah, happy enough. indeed, man. But yeah, it's, uh, I reckon it is worth looking at that cohort and trying to think about what are the things that we can bring into our own lives. But one of the challenging things I think for any junior doctor is something that Oli Burton, I saw, probably been highlighted to other people, but I saw Oli, Oli Burton mention this, that these graphs are horrifying. Do we have a duty to make applicants to medical school aware of this? 
applications per post compared with post available, obviously not controlling for multiple apps, very quick plots, but very deeply concerning. So he's showing that essentially there's just not enough posts for the number of people applying, just no, nowhere near, right? And it's getting worse year on year. So it feels like the bottleneck is there, not being communicated to anyone going into maybe junior doctors who are in medicine, not getting communicated to that. There is a significant bottleneck with getting it further along in your training. It's not going to make you very happy, is it? No. I think the thing is that in response to that, there, there were lots of lots of anger, understandably. There's just a lot, lack of training posts also then beget was linked to lack of consultant posts and it's and then obviously the other theories isn't it as to let's as we've said so many times before was they want to keep people in the kind of more junior doctor role and stuff and there's understandable frustration the thing is that it's funny because i don't how do you tell people that it's so weird isn't it but then it's always been that terrible hasn't it i remember when i was applying for like cardiology numbers people would be like oh it's 10 to 1 but it used to be mm. 30 to 1 and now, mm. now they're like oh it's 8 to 1 like there's all still terrible numbers. <laughs> like, that means... And so, mm. what are you really supposed to do? Like, just yeah, say... Yeah, it's... I agree with you, man. It's tough. Even now, people say, oh, I want to apply to radiology, but I heard it's really competitive. But I always feel like everything was competitive, wasn't it? Like, getting into medical school was competitive, but you did that. So why is competition stopping you now? Like, throw your hat in, and then just try your best. But again, on the other hand, that's why people do multiple applications, that if something doesn't work out, they've still got something else to go back on, to fall back on. And when you see that, the odds don't look particularly great. And it's not that you don't have anywhere to go. As in, it's not as though you, if you don't get what you want, you've got something somewhere else to go. It's as if, like, even your backups, your backups are going to be competitive too. So then <laughs> what? there is a possibility where nothing comes back and then you're just going to be, what, stuck in the wilderness of trying to do something else for the time being maybe trying to get that teaching fellow job off that off that nurse that you're so unhappy with or something i mean could be any of those things but i think there was another follow-up to and again ollie burton being mentioned twice today is i think because west streeting we've mentioned a few times goes nhs backs labor's plan to double medical school places why doesn't the government and there's that's such a superficial way of looking at things because again ollie said look until this line stops getting shared we have to intervene every time. Training more doctors means nothing if you don't fund more postgraduate training posts for them to go into. And that's true. So it is, this whole thing is far more complicated. Someone like Wes just says, sees doctors. He doesn't see grades of doctors. He doesn't see consultants versus juniors. He just sees doctors. So if there's a problem with doctors, they just make more doctors. What's the issue here? But then the problem is like someone like this person doesn't realize that there's a very complex thing here because unfortunately you don't need like lots of you don't need lots of all doctors there are certain doctors that you certainly do need a lot more of than you need of others so uh, things that are going to be in demand right now are probably going to be something like gp i would i'd expect a e yeah. like acute medicine that's going to be in demand i would have expected whether there's training posts or not is another question but i'm just saying they yeah. clearly need more people to do those jobs because those places are getting so so busy right now isn't that the crazy thing though because like we know that we do need there are gaps in AA, the gaps in gp but there aren't lots of, it's not like there's an abundance of posts, certainly in a &E, I don't know what it's like trying to get mm. GP training numbers, but I don't think there's an abundance of them. Isn't mm. it quite difficult? Yeah, exactly. So even the people who want to do it, aren't, that, I think that's the problem, right? The people who want to do it can't do it. And, you, and yeah. I reckon if you did train every single person that wants to do it, you probably still wouldn't get the numbers out that you'd need to be able to get the job done. I know that's the case for radiology anyway. That even mm. if you took in every single person that wanted to do it, you still wouldn't have enough people to cover 
the work in general, let alone the job vacancies that are emerging. But speaking of training, there was one tweet that I put in for a change. Yeah. Because I've been pretty terrible at putting in tweets of late. But uh, it said, if the private sector starts offering Caesar programs, the NHS is totally and utterly effed. What are your thoughts on that, Thrush? Is this true? Do you think if the private sector <coughs> offered Caesar? And for those of you that don't know Caesar, it's an alternative pathway to CCT, i.e. finished training. Yeah. I think it just throws it out there, doesn't it? It throws, it puts the cat amongst the pigeons. Basically, <laughs> basically, it's, they say, don't they, that kind of as doctors, we're beholden to the NHS for our training, right? Mm -hmm. We need to mm -hmm. get there. And so this basically just suddenly opens up competition. So far, the only option, if you wanted to leave the NHS and continue your training or continue training, then you'd have to leave the country for a different kind of training scheme. Or mm. there is a separate training scheme for pharmaceuticals, so you can do that privately. Is that there are lots of there are lots of private hospitals, and if they could offer accessible ways of achieving your competencies and finishing your training that way, suddenly gets a lot more com competitive, doesn't it? Like locum pay. Uh, think about mm. doing locums and think about pay, for example, or just the kind of the environment in which things are different in private hospitals than they are in the NHS. It's really interesting. I'm not altogether against it. Are you? No, not at all. I, don't, I, think, I think part of the problem for, doc, for the doc, medical profession in general is that we've got a monopoly employer. I remember when I was very unhappy with my training and being treated the way I was being treated, there wasn't as though I could just suddenly step up and leave. Say that, so like, yeah. Forget this. I'm going, right? I'm not going to yeah. take whatever you've just said to me. You had to stick around. And if you want to leave, at the time, anyway, I did see other people do this, which I actually, I'll tell you a quick story about that. But the, when I, I know other people did manage to get out, but you'd have to do an application, you'd have to do something and give some circumstance, circumstantial reason as to why you need to leave. Then your TPD has got to allow it to go through. I'll tell you a story which may or may not have happened. But I remember um, I was at an MDT and I, there was another trainee with me at this MDT, right? And the MDT went fine. There was no issues. And after the MDT, we all went for coffee with the consultants and sat around. And then I went to my morning CT urgent session and then I got a phone call from another consultant and I picked up the phone and he was like, Imran, where are you right now? I said, I'm in the urgent CT. He goes, can you step out, please? And I thought, oh, great. What have I done now? So I walked <laughs> out and he goes, can you get out the department? So I was all right, fine. So I got out and he goes, I say, anyone near you? I was like, no one's near me right now. I'm just outside. He goes, okay, fine. What happened in the MDT this morning? I was like, nothing. I just turned up. I did the MDT and he goes, did anyone talk to this other trainee during the entire thing? I said, like, no, man, that guy was quiet in the corner. He didn't say anything. And he goes, did anyone say anything to him? I was like, no. He goes, did he talk to anyone? I was like, no, not really. He goes, and he goes, okay, fine. And then I couldn't help myself. And I said, look, everything okay? And he goes, yeah, this guy said that he's been bullied this morning by one of the other consultants. And I think I know what he's up to. I think he wants to basically pull a bullying card and then try and get himself transferred to somewhere else. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So there are ways to do it, evidently, apparently, allegedly. But uh, that's the extreme that one may want to... may think about going to if they want to just move. But in the private sector, you could just quit and say, I'm going somewhere else. In radiology anyway, I could definitely see this working. Definitely, 100%. Because there is, there's so much work coming in. If you are able to report the scans, get them checked by someone, get feedback and get training, which some teleradiology companies do, such as a company called TMC, where they actually have online fellowships where you can report scans and have someone go through the scans with you and stuff. Mm. And then you're supposedly qualified to report their scans moving forwards then there's no reason that you can't, I don't think there's no reason that you can't train radi diagnostic radiologists in the private sector from a teleradiology company, whether they want to take that up or not, it's a different question altogether. But yeah, I think that would be quite liberating for some people actually, to be able to just pick and choose what works for them.
Yeah. It wouldn't be great for the NHS. It can't be because so many people are essentially stuck in potentially unhappy places because they're in training, quotation yeah. mark, right? Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, anyway, fair enough. you never seen that kind of game be played, like these kind of things, or is that as cardiology? Mate, happy to, happy to. no, not that, actually, not that. To transfer, I haven't seen anyone play, or at least if someone was playing that game, it would have gone just worse over my head, I wouldn't have noticed. I was like, whatever. But uh, I remember once, like, there was a trainee who... This is really unprofessional, actually, because I remember the GP trainer telling me that his, like, previous trainee had complained that he was racist. And okay. then, so this guy's a white guy, and he's telling me, and he goes, but I can't be racist. And then he waves at my face. <laughs> and then I'm being like, this is, what was, oh, because you're not, even though that, thing that you've just done to my face is probably not a great example of how you're not racist <laughs> but yeah i was just like okay yeah. wow so <laughs> was... i'm not racist because of you uh, yeah exactly because we're together oh, okay. yeah yeah and then he by virtue of doing <laughs> was being a bit racist i suppose yeah, so could you imagine? Yeah, i wish him well i wish him well i hope he doesn't get a gout or something wish well, yeah wish you well on your endeavors yes thank you very much exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, anyway. talking about someone that clearly can't look back and uh, maybe see themselves for what they are. Again, someone called, actually, I won't even say their name, but they mentioned, <laughs> they, they actually wrote into a paper or something saying, junior doctors have complained that their threatened strike is all about money and that the average earnings at 36947 a year are too low. How well are junior doctors paid? Question mark. News, February 2022. It is perhaps salutary to recall that my first post as a house surgeon at Barts in 1964 paid me £330 a year for a seven-day <sighs> duty week when I ultimately rose to the giddy height of a registrar. I was rich, £1,200 a year. I know about inflation, but still, basically, you lot need to calm down. Yeah, I've got so much to say about this. I don't even know where to start. Just okay. Do you want to rush? Should I? Me? <laughs> no, no, it's just the thing is that I can imagine this kind of old fart coming out with this, and essentially, there is no good can come of trying to engage with someone as big headed as this. It's just so mm. stupid because they don't. They're like, I know inflation, but they obviously don't because they don't get that. Mm. But also, like, where do you even start? Like, okay, so back then, treatments for an MI was what bed rest, and you had to remember <laughs> three drugs. Have you ever, did yeah. you ever have to fill in a VT? The job was very different. It was like the registrars and stuff were doing the operations and stuff. The consultants would be on the golf course. Like it was run in a very different way. There wasn't any litigation. Your money, your money went, could stretch a far longer way. Like people would pay their housing deposits with a credit card. You didn't even have to worry about that because you were, pay, you were staying in fully subsidized accommodation. So therefore, like your wage was just going into into your bank account even your meals were subsidized it's just they had it so they had the best nhs pension ever they had so many and if you compared their wage to like the average person's wage back then it was astronomical but if they can't if that person is so blinded to seeing all of those things then you better just disregard it because they're just an idiot i agree but I think there's a one or two things I wanted to pick up on, which is the wider issues and maybe with society in general. The way they talk about junior doctors and when they all, and I know this will happen again. So if any junior doctor of any position that is fighting this fight uh, is listening to me, I don't know why you would. But anyway, 
They're going to try and convince you that you're getting paid a lot. They're going to say to you that £36,947,000 is a lot. And I think as time's got on, like when we were younger, when I was younger, I remember I was watching The Apprentice, right? Yeah. And then they were like, oh, whoever gets this job with Alan Sugar is going to have a six-figure salary. And I, used to, I at the time I thought, oh, a six-figure salary, man, that's, that's immense. Can you imagine a six-figure salary? And then, but in my head, I was so young at the time, I didn't really calculate in my head like what six-figure actually means. I, to me, I thought it was one, zero, 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 like a million. So I thought, that's that, amazing, man. Then, is that not what it is? But then, no, six figures, that was 100,000. Uh, okay. Yeah. So then, <laughs> so no, then, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so because that's the six-figure salary, one, zero, 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 zero. So then as time went on, I realized, oh, actually, hang on. They're not talking about one million pound salary with Alan Sugar. They're talking about a six-figure salary, which is actually 100,000 pounds. So all they've got to do is give a 100,000 pound salary to someone. But then I thought... Yeah, 100,000 pounds is a lot of money. Of course it is, yeah. right? When you look at the general population, of course, it's like, what, top 5%. But then you could either fight for your right to fight to work with Alan Sugar or go to medical school, do a three-year degree, do, do your two years of junior, do three years of being a, a GP trainer, then hopefully go into a partnership and then get a six-figure salary. So actually, that six-figure salary dizzy height didn't actually seem so dizzy anymore because you realize that it's actually quite an attainable thing if you do most sort of quite professional things. But then when you look at people, and you may not think this is true or not, but people who are on six-figure salaries aren't exactly living the high life that it, I thought it was when they were trying to promote it on like Alan Sugar. So then when they show you to, oh, junior docs are making 36947 they're trying to tell you that's a lot of money and you should be proud, you should be happy. But I don't think... I think we all know that junior doctors are struggling, right? They're not that with all the living costs that you're, you've mentioned, the food, the rent, student loan repayments and stuff. Exams. 6,000 is and exams and your, your professional stuff. It doesn't really get you all that far. And then if you've got a family on top of it and you've got kids to feed or whatever is going on, right? That doesn't go all that much. So they're going to try and convince you that you're getting paid a good wage, but it's not really. It's, it can't be because after all that work, after all, all that stuff and the kind of importance of the work that you do, then you're finding yourself still struggling, then this is not good enough and this is something to fight for. This is 100% yeah. something to fight for all the way to the very, very end. And it should not be said for anything less than six figures for all junior doctors. Then you're right to think through, sure. Yeah, I think the thing is that at this kind of time, you'll get these, the, as you say, like these these people these kind of opinions, you're going to see more and more of them. And they're fringe opinions. And they say stuff because they know that they'll get in the paper. And then they'll once, once their column's been read and stuff, they'll just disappear back to irrelevant. And unfortunately, I, I think we are seeing, like, obviously now the strike dates have been announced, haven't they? So 13th, 14th, yeah, 15th of March. Proceeding nights then. Like, oh, no. I, so I, there were, as soon as they were released, I, was, I felt a bit nervous because, oh, no, I'm like, oh, nights. And then I saw one of the consultants had like tweeted saying, oh, they're in full support and stuff. And mm. I think even though a lot of people are doing it, I don't think that it can be done enough. I think it's great to see it because we do still feel uncomfortable about it. I feel a bit nervous. Like I do feel, it does make you, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to consider, isn't it? Like striking. But at the same time, it's obviously very necessary. And I don't think there's any other real option. I feel like it's been forced. 100% it's been forced. And 100% mm. there is no other option. Because you so, have to look at it. In, for, in order to, for you to look after other people, you've got to be able to look after yourself. But if you're doing 13, 14 hour shifts or even longer than that, plus your publications, plus your things, and you're coming <coughs> back and you can't even eat, right? Or you can't even have a stressor. You've got so many stressors at work and you've got to stress about this too. Surely as a society, we should be valuing the contribution that the medical profession has. The people that are saving lives, keeping people alive, 
are worth their weight in gold, right? They should not be worrying about anything else but saving lives. And mm. to, in order for them to do that, they've got to be not worried about certain things. Like, let's go to footballers. Like footballers who go into the premiership, right? And then they play for Manchester United. When they leave, they don't even know where you're meant to be cleaning your car. They don't know what to do. It's, oh, how, who cleans the car? Because yeah. when they try to turn up to the place, someone in that car yeah, cleans the car for them, looks yeah. after everything for them. Why? Because Manchester United and every club knows that they want that footballer to worry about nothing else yeah, but, but kicking football. that ball through that net. They don't want to worry about bills. They don't want to worry about anything. Not even cleaning their car. So that shows you at that level like how much they value the people that work for them that they're going to get out of them, that they are saying that, look, don't worry about anything else. Everything is covered. We need you to just concentrate on what you're doing. And for me personally, Thrusha, if you're going to be doing something to my heart, I'd rather that you come to well my little Bentley. Yeah, <laughs> very well rested. Mm. <laughs> Having a wonderful life, coming in and then save my life, not worrying about anything else, not thinking oh, I need to run off and do this and run off and do that. No worries, mate. Look after my heart, please. And then <laughs> we'll carry on with life. Personally. You make a yeah. very compelling argument. <laughs> As usual, yeah. So, uh, they should get me to argue. So, Absolutely, like, I've got something to talk to, to come to the negotiations. They're like, all right, here we go. Yeah. You had <laughs> I'm me at tell you exactly how it is. So, yeah. so there's a thread that I thought we should get like bring up that I guess mm -hmm. that I've been meeting. Like as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is going to be a good one to talk about. Which is, <laughs> yeah. So it goes flex the lowest yeah, academic, lowest score. Because I think yeah. I beat you on this. I beat you on this to remind us that everyone fails at some point. So I've got eight percent in the French exam. It was in like third year. You, I'm yeah, still you haven't beaten me. You haven't beaten Have you me. ever got zero? Yes. Got... Have you? What? Yes. In what? Yeah. Mr. Rose music. Oh, music. I'd have been like, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's what I thought. Let's say what. But he actually made a really big deal out of it. Because there was one person that did the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> and then he looked at me because it was you, Ron. Do you know what score you got? And I was like, I don't know. In front of the class? Yeah, yeah. And he went oh, lower. Mate. And 14, he went lower. <laughs> lower. 20. 10 he went lower no, and he went on and, like, and then i went did i get zero I guess, you got zero you got zero i was like wow oh, god <laughs> so at least so mine was a Mate, miss honestly that's amazing saying, like if there's anything that could be felt so if you looked at let's say you looked at a medical person's career yeah and then you looked at all the exams they've got to sit and you think to yourself like okay how many of those exams could someone <laughs> fail and how many times could they fail and still make it to the end that's me <laughs> that is me genuinely think about it like every single freaking exam that i sat especially <laughs> medical school onwards was flunk after flunk until the point that do you remember the elective do you not remember the elective they said i wouldn't be able to go on elective unless so basically fourth year so i failed every single exam right up to fourth year i managed to just get through just about getting the scrape through the marks and i think fourth year we had three modules i think one was like obs and gynae one right. was psych and the, i can't remember what the other one was and uh, I go ahead and flunk the first exams <laughs> and then I get called in and I said, listen, you're going to have to, you might be able to, because you're so close to the past, you might be able to get a compensatory fail as long as you pass the next two exams. And if you don't, then you can't go on an elective. <laughs> and I remember, How do I, I remember, remember, I remember talking. Yeah. So then I had to, so I, I put my head down, <laughs> head down. And I compensatory failed the next exam. And then finally I was on psych and somehow, I don't know how, but I managed to get just beyond the pass mark. And so that the overall meant that my pass marks are high enough for me to be able to go on elective in the first place. Oh, wow. With you, which is how part of this, the whole podcast thing has begun. Yeah. But yeah, genuinely, I would be surprised if anyone has failed as many times as I did and still made it through. Genuinely. I think there's an inspiring story <laughs> in this. Yeah, not because I wanted it to be. I didn't go out uh, to fail. I worked yeah, quite hard. Look, yeah, exactly. Look at where you are now and all that. 
alive that's the main thing yeah exactly yeah. you're alive so then... <laughs> should we talk about something else which is also probably equally no it's watch blood bleaker but there's there's two interesting perspectives on it so again this is another one from dr rosie brewer loads Why of people she have... coming up again on our pod through she you're just trawling through these things and finding rosie and just yeah pretty much yeah, exactly just me hitting on rosie Fine. so she oh wait i don't have the i don't have the time subscription got flustered by the display picture okay should we move on <laughs> So basically, she linked this article from an ICU consultant, <laughs> and the issue, did you get a chance to read it? It was quite good. So um, check, check, remind me which one. I did look at one. It goes, ICU cons feels vulnerable. And it basically talked about the amount of uncertainty that they had. They were seen as the kind of decision makers and stuff, because obviously the sickest people with COVID would be going to ITU and like how difficult it was. Sorry. Sorry. Such an exhausting sorry time. To, sorry to bore you through. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So it was such an exhausting time. And, um, and it was just really interesting. By the end, basically, you could see there's an advert for their book. And then I saw that there's some reactions to it. And I was a bit like, oh, can I be bothered to engage my brain and work out whether I should be annoyed by this or not? And people are basically saying that, again, they were flaunting their misery and stuff for likes. And whether that was ethical. Or do you... I tried to, I, I think I did try and click on this link. It was yeah. The Times link. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so it doesn't take me anywhere. And all it takes me to is the Times. And the entire page is advertised by Waitrose. Did you see this? The, no. entire, the top, the sides. I've never, I'm going to even share my screen because I've never seen a screen like this before. So I'm going to share, I'm going to show it to you. There you go, Thrusha. I'm sharing my screen to Thrusha. Can you see this? That's what that page looked like to me. It's when crazy, I isn't it? That, it literally it's is. So, so banner ads, yeah. Yeah, it's not, but the thing is, there's banner ads and then there's banner ads. And we're talking top sides, and let's see if the bottom as well is literally completely engulfed in, wa in Waitrose adverts. And obviously, Waitrose adverts, Waitrose have thought to themselves that probably the best you'd advertise to are people who read the Times. Times. So, yeah, so when I clicked on it, I was like, yeah, I'm not taking that. So what, I didn't what, really get to read that properly. Yeah. Fair enough. What, what do you think about kind of fiction? It's not fiction, is it? Non fictional accounts of working as a doctor and talking about because this person I remember in the article that they had like an inspiring patient who they obviously anonymize but mm. they kind of call upon them oh my god sorry I'm so sorry they call upon them and they talk about them quite a lot as this kind of inspiring person and I think people objected to that do you think that's yeah I think, isn't that the same kind of situation you have with that, that Rachel Clark yeah as in, she, she, as from what I understand, I have got no issues with Rachel Clark, by the way. I'm yeah, just yeah, no, that I think a lot of people have issues with the fact that they're using their, they're writing a lot about experiences and sometimes talking about experiences that they may or may not have that much insight into. From what I understand, I, I've never read any of her things really, so I wouldn't really know. But in the same with Adam Kay, isn't it? Like he, he's yeah. pretty much made a career off the back of his experiences, whether they're true or untrue. I don't really have too much of an issue with it, really. Mm. If people are interested in what you're going to talk about, and uh, I guess with any kind of almost dinner or lunch conversation you may have with someone, your experiences that you draw on maybe from work and shape you. So personally, I don't have uh, an issue at yeah. all. I know people will always question, you know what, can I just say something? I do wonder about medical people in general sometimes in terms of, I feel like there are unwritten rules that people that there are that and then when people go outside of the unwritten rules they start i don't know people just look at them funny or they'll say yeah. they'll be a bit funny about it so let's say for example through and i decide that we're gym bros man why don't we do our own workout program immediately there'll be a whole load of people like, oh, like a bunch of grifters yeah we just like working out well so what's the issue there or 
let's say I'm really interested in getting people's wrinkles, get rid of getting rid of people. I, I genuinely am interested in trying to do cosmetic surgery, but I don't really want to do the plastic surgery thing and do a bit of Botox here and there to supplement my income, which is easier than doing night shifts and weekends. But then a whole load of, it seems to me as a med Twitter doesn't, or a lot of medical people don't really like that. And they're quite negative about people who do other things with or without their medical backing. And so even to the point that when someone does any sort of journalism or writing a story about being a doctor or experience of being a doctor, people can be quite negative about them. Yeah. I don't get that. Why? What do you want us to do? Just sit there and do nothing else and just be a doctor and nothing else, in case, even if you've got other interests and other things you want to do? And other things I think so, isn't it? It doesn't make it into it. Do you reckon that's just like a UK doctor thing? Because I think in the US, or at least from what I see on Twitter, they didn't seem to have any real problem with self-promotion. Whereas here, you're mm -hmm. supposed to be like this kind of tortured soul, aren't you? Who just does it all for the patient. And I don't think that's always, it's always been that way. Obviously, like the, I remember reading this book where they were saying that when the NHS was being incepted, the BMA were really against doctors being part of it because they were like, mm -hmm. no, relinquishing control and stuff and we'll be like civil servants. But mm. it's just, but, and then this kind of whole, this whole thing about duty and stuff seems to have really gone away from itself since then. Yeah, yeah. And then, so sometimes I just do wonder, yeah, let's say Therusha and I decide to do something else outside of the whole medical thing. Would we be looked at negatively? Let's do it, man. Something that was outside, of course, if you want to do a workout program, let's do it. Let's do it. But it just seems to be as though if anyone does anything that's not just being on the wards and... Uh, seeing patients and doing management roles and teaching roles if it doesn't fit within that remit or what we think is acceptable you're going to be labeled as a grifter or something yeah. even though you may have genuine interest in other things so what okay. this is why i half jokingly say i don't hate on people's hustles you do what you got to do if it pays your bills even better you go for it do whatever you got to do it's not a non-issue yeah. uh, and you shouldn't think about what other people think and feel because otherwise you can be stuck being unhappy yeah True. sorry anyway going off topic slightly again do the name as well yeah, go on then. Go for it. Yeah, I think this so, comes up a fair bit, doesn't it? But yeah, it does. I think it's come up twice in two different ways this week. Yeah, so do you want to do one? I'll do the other. Yeah, sure. This one is a tweet by at Jilly Bean. Jilly's with a G or Gilly Bean 712. The novice anesthetist I was working with today introduced himself to the patient as Dr. X and then introduced me to the patient as Jillian. Smart, weird face. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Bethan had similar the in clinic, <coughs> new rotation. I introduced myself to the consultant as Bethan, one of the new GPST doctors. He proceeded to ask me for a shortened version of my name. Okay, so, okay, fine. And for the rest of the clinic, he then introduced himself as Mr. X, the consultant, and that's Beth, my helper. So lame. Wow. Yeah. What is that? What is I that? I don't know. Why, why are people doing that? I think it, it's definitely um, like a kind of, can you imagine like being the type of person who needs to make themselves feel big by making other people small? That's essentially what it is. Isn't it? I, Thrush, maybe you can tell me about this, yeah? Because I, re I remember like when I was in one of the places I was training, which I absolutely hated these. And then I moved to somewhere <laughs> and the consultant was talking to me. And then a, another a doctor came in to ask for a referral. And then she, it was something so minor. She said, oh, let me just see what my colleague thinks. And I looked around thinking, who are you talking about? And then she goes, Imran, what do you think? Yeah, nice. And I thought, colleague? Yeah, I felt like Dobby the Dwarf, the house elf. I was like, Master, what? You call me what? Because she gave me the little sock. And I was, uh, and I think I even came back to Robbie and I said, I've never been called a, I don't remember the last time I was called a colleague. Like I've always been called the junior, mm. what my reg thinks. But it, those little things do mean a lot to people. Yeah, absolutely. And then calling someone doctor, it means a lot to people. And if they want to be called that. <laughs> absolutely. And I've only recently taken this up for a bit now. I think maybe through our conversations that I sh should ask people, how would you like me to introduce you? 
that's good you know to to the next patient because that's been important because yeah. obviously now i understand that even inadvertently getting it wrong thinking you try and do the right thing is important as in it's easier just to ask people just easy yeah. to ask people how would you like me to introduce you and then leave it at that isn't it I quite like doing it. I quite like it introducing like kind of junior colleagues and saying, "Oh, like I'm through sure I'm the cardiologist, and this is one of the other cardiologists." I just introduce them as other cardiologists and just figure out the same title. But um, I just don't see why it's so difficult and why people feel like they need to like because that person's got out of their way, haven't they, to be like, "No, I want mm. to make sure your name so smaller," and then it just is so transparent. Yeah, call you a helper, what like a little Santa's helper? Yeah, exactly. Literally like a Dobby thing. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, exactly. Don't give him a sock, I'm just going to run away. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fine. Are we, should we go on to some fesses? Or is there yeah, let's any, do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, do some fesses. Like, I haven't looked at these fesses. So okay, uh, you do you want to do one? one? You pick one. Okay, they're I'm both... going to go for this one then. Okay, they're you both as equally as horrendous. They're actually, I think they're okay this week. I think okay. Yeah. My 17 year old daughter put clothes she wore, or she's worn once, sometimes only for a few hours in the wash creating an endless pile of washing. I've been taking it out, folding it up and giving it back a day later without it ever seeing the inside of a washing machine. Fair Interesting. Enough. You, this is like your energy because I feel like it'd be like a kind of saving money thing, but also a bit mischievous. No, I, no, I think genuinely I did notice that we're having a lot of washing turning up. So I did actually mention recently that with the kids anyway, do we really need to be washing their jeans every single time they're wearing yeah, yeah. Do you get messy anyway? I don't really wash my jeans every single time. So I think we've reduced that. But yeah, no, that, that is... Yeah. It's funny actually, isn't it? The kind of the gradual kind of transformation into our dad's way of kind of like turning switches off like, oh we've got to save the electricity yeah. <laughs> literally did that today like, did you why are the oh, lights switched off yeah. why are you doing it please it's my money <laughs> and then you're like and then when Lowe's is like I'm cold I'm like Lily you're wearing one layer and then I'm like oh my god I'm my dad <laughs> I'm my dad I'm my dad oh my god so yeah. stuff like that it's just I don't know it's mm. just funny isn't it to see the descent Basically, yeah. my one is you used to send Christmas cards pretending to be and from neighbors who I knew hated each other would put really over the top messages in them, inviting them over for drinks and saying they wanted oh. to be friends. Then oh. found out what happened. Oh, that's chaotic. Oh, I like that my one. word. That is, that, is, that is such a why would you manipulate such an awkward? It's making me cringe on the inside, don't you think? Just making you feel like, oh, okay. no, no, definitely not. Anyway. It's some, have you ever been in that situation where you got like some family come over and you know, those two family members just don't get along? They absolutely hate each other, haven't spoken to each other in years, and you just know that there is a potential another argument could turn up. Let's just hope it doesn't. And you just, the whole evening you spend stressed, just stressed out. Like, please don't talk to each other. Please don't talk to each other. And then you just get away with them, hopefully, most of the time. But uh, why would you like invite that situation? Like It's it, amazing, isn't it? To me, it's. Yeah, unavoidable. It's like a wedding it's, or something's happened. Yeah. Like Joe was telling me that when she she was dropping Erin to she was taking Erin to this kind of music class thing, and she gets there. She's a bit early, and actually uh, she just finished and she was going back to the car, and the per so she parked so in from Joe's account, my believer, like perfectly mm. in the center of the space, but there's a person in the space next to her who's like really far over. So Joe couldn't get to the baby seat side to get Erin in. She tried and basically she was doing this thing where she opens the door to Erin's side. So she initially tries to go around from the other side to get Erin into the seat and she's like, oh, it's just because you know, the, face, the backward facing mm. is really difficult to do. So she tries that, she can't. And then she realizes that the person who parked there is sat in the car watching the entire time. Oh. Anyway, so then Joe goes back around and tries to open the door that's near to the car and she basically puts her hand in the way so that her, the door doesn't touch the door the door in this car. Mm. 
struggles to get Eren into the seat, finally gets him into the seat. Eren's obviously now kicking off because he's like, we tried to hit me in the other side or whatever. What the hell? Mm. Anyway, he finally gets him in. And then as Joe's about to drive off, this woman then goes through this whole like song and dance of kind of getting out of the car and like looking at the side of her car to check for like scratches and stuff. <laughs> and it, Joe's just telling me the story and I could feel in my chest like I'm just getting more and more like righteous, indignant rage. Like why the hell mm. would you sit there and watch someone struggle with that? And yeah. in the, it's the same energy. It's the same energy. Like you just want to create some drama in other people's lives, mainly perhaps because you're a little bit miserable yourself. And so you just have to make <laughs> stuff harder for other people and be like, oh, yeah. oh let's now watch. And yeah, same energy. Yeah, it's yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? Okay, cool. It just ran off that. Sorry. <laughs> we'll finish on that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Drusha. Thanks, yeah. No, thanks no, for cool, listening, cool. everyone. <laughs> All right, cool. Right. Um, so, yeah. so anyway, like junior doctors, go for it, man. Do not give in, fight all the way, man. And I want all you guys to have Bentleys and big mansions so that you can look after us better. Do it. Yeah. Do See it. You on the Make picket. it happen. See you on the picket. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys. Yeah. am I allowed to be there? Will people just say, look, why don't you? You should. Do if you don't, then maybe you can make us coffees using that expensive coffee machine of yours. What expensive coffee machine? Yeah, I yes. don't know about that. Bean to cup. Right. Oh, anyway, sorry. Let's, sorry. let's just stop now. Okay, right, bye. Cool. Bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>